Well, thanks, Clark, and uh, good morning, everybody. Let me just start with a quick fun fact that you might not know. Today, actually, this weekend marks for us um, the uh, two-year birthday of the Medina East Campus. And so we are two. Happy birthday to you. And uh, yeah, yeah, so it's been two years since we uh, officially started services as the Medina East Campus. It's been so cool. If you guys have been part of that journey for any or all that time just to watch how God has provided and man just what a wild ride and I'm so excited to think about what God has in store for the next two years um, as we continue um, together as Medina East Campus. So thanks for a great last couple of years guys. It's been awesome and happy birthday to you and happy birthday to me and happy birthday to the Medina East Campus. That's awesome. Uh, today what we're doing is we're actually uh, beginning a series that we're calling You Plus Hope. Let me just say, like Clark said, if you're a guest with us this morning, thanks so much for being here. And uh, you really could not have come at a better time. Uh, we oftentimes say that the beginning of a series is such a great opportunity to kind of get connected um, to our church because we're kind of starting a new thought process um, through a series. And so usually what we do is we'll, we'll kind of pick a topic and we'll talk about it for a series of weeks together. And so you've kind of started at the beginning of that. And so we're glad that you're able to be with us this morning as we do that. And I would really encourage you, uh, if you are new, to just uh, to engage in this series with us. Maybe join us for the duration of the next four weeks as we talk about this conversation of you plus hope. Our hope today is uh, really what we want to do is we want to just sort of introduce the whole series itself. And so I just want to let you know today is an introduction. And so if at any point at the end of our conversation, if you feel like things are not resolved or there's, you're like, man, I think there's more to this conversation, that, that's intentional because today is an introduction. And so our hope is to really just kind of whet your appetite um, for the conversation that we want to have in this U plus hope um, series. As you can probably tell from the decor around the campus and even from the color scheme and our graphic, this is our Christmas series, right? And so Christmas is now in full swing, as you all know. It's like Thanksgiving ends, and then it's like all cylinders towards Christmas. And my guess is um, that your family is probably in that mode too. Uh, all Christmas right now, and so I know my family's in that mode, so our calendar's filling up with Christmas activities, and the Christmas shopping is well underway. Some of you haven't started that yet. This afternoon might be a good time to do that. And uh, the whole Christmas shopping thing is happening. If you're in school, right, you're probably looking forward to Christmas break coming up. How cool is that? And, uh, and the whole Christmas thing is happening. And one of the things that I, I always love about Christmas, and I'm sure you found this as well, is that Christmas is really a season that is sort of encased in anticipation, right? Anticipation in Christmas and, and hope in Christmas, they tend to go together. Uh, they just historically always tend to kind of go together, and especially... Um, when you think about when we were kids, right? It seems like when we were kids, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I think one thing we could probably all relate to if we were to compare notes is that as kids, it seemed like Christmas just couldn't come fast enough. And I remember as a kid just the agonizing uh, wait until Christmas. It just seemed like it would never get here. And isn't it funny now as adults, right? It seems like, man, I can't believe it's Christmas already. And geez, it just happened so fast. But, but it's kind of cool because we, we all kind of remember as kids the anticipation looking forward to the agonizing wait until Christmas finally came. And so it's kind of neat right now. I got two little boys at home. Got a, got a three-year-old and a five-year-old, soon to be a four-year-old and a five-year-old. And it's so fun just to watch Christmas through their eyes and to think about the anticipation and the hope that they're experiencing. And I know if you guys have little kids or you have grandkids, how fun that is, right? Because you kind of live vicariously through them and you kind of see all that and those type of things. Let me ask you guys a question, just thinking about back when we were kids and how much we used to anticipate Christmas. And, and I, I'm going to ask you this, and you got to be honest, because, well, you know, we're in church, so you got to be. Um, but here, here's my question, all right? Just by a show of hands, let me ask you guys this question. How many of you, when you were kids, at one point or another, tried to find the presents that your parents hid when they were not home or when they weren't looking? 
Yeah, okay, pretty much all of us. All right, that's good. The rest of you are probably lying in church, which is not good. Okay, so uh, here's my follow-up question real fast. How many of you, when you were kids, you actually found those presents at one point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now here's, here's the real question for the rebels. How many of you not only found the presents, but opened them and played with them? Oh, yeah. Yes. Sinners, talk to me afterwards. I may or may not have done that myself. But yeah, so it's, it's just fun because Christmas is always a season that's sort of met with anticipation, right? You just can't wait for it to come. And as little kids, you know, we kind of all felt that way. Well, it's interesting, historically speaking, when you look back at the first Christmas, we find that there was no different. You know, the first Christmas was something that was birthed out of a long-awaited anticipation. And the Bible tells us that the circumstances of the Christmas story happened in an age-long anticipation. And so as I was thinking about this series, I thought, what would be a good place for us to start? And I figured, what better place than right smack dab in the middle of the Christmas story? So I want to encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, to grab them with me. And we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2 this morning. And we're going to look at this passage briefly as we kind of set this series up. Luke chapter 2. And uh, I'll just say that if you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, like if you don't, um, didn't bring a Bible or if you don't have your phone or your tablet and you don't have a Bible app on there, um, I would encourage you to just take one of our Bibles and you can turn to page 716 in those Bibles that we have provided for you. You can just go ahead and flip there. And uh, let me also say that if you are a first-time guest with us today and you just don't have a Bible, like you don't own one or you don't have a newer translation of the Bible, um, I just want you to do us a favor. Take one of ours and make it a gift from us to you. You could write your name in it and everything. Uh, make it a gift from us and you can um, have that. So Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to flip. And as you guys are flipping there, once you get there, just put it on your lap for a moment because I want to I kind of set this passage up. Because what we're going to see in this passage is we're going to see, and many of you, you know, especially if you kind of grew up in the church and if you're real familiar with Christmas, this is a passage that's very familiar. Uh, but before we look at it, I, I want to talk first about the anticipation that would have occurred to help us kind of build up to this climactic moment. This passage we're about to look at is the birth announcement of Jesus. It's, it's when the angels come and announce that Christ has finally come. But in order for us to understand the full impact of that passage, we have to understand the anticipation that came before this passage. So the Bible tells us, and if you're not a Bible person, you might not know this, but the Bible tells us that the entire Old Testament, the whole Old Testament, is basically a story of anticipation. It's a story of, of a group of people who put their hope and confidence in God, not perfectly, right? But they were hoping and anticipating that one day, God would send a Messiah. And this was actually a promise that God had made all the way back to the very, very beginning of human origins. If you look at the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis in chapters 1 and 2 basically spell out for us that God was the creative initiative behind everything. And Genesis 1 and 2 explain that God created the heavens and he created the earth and he created the universe and that he is the life-giving power that is behind creation is basically what Genesis teaches us. And the Bible tells us that when God created humanity, that God created us with the intention that we would be in an intimate relationship with him, uh, that we would be uh, in harmony with him, that we would be able to communicate with him and, and sort of have this uninhibited relationship. That was God's intention from the very beginning. But we're told that very quickly into the story of human history, by Genesis chapter 3, that humanity disobeyed God. And as a result of that, sin entered the world and things went wrong. And the Bible says that when sin entered the world, everything evil, everything that causes pain and suffering in the human experience was introduced into creation. 
So the Bible says that death entered into the human equation. The Bible says that childbirth became painful as a result of that. The Bible says that work became toilsome and, and, uh, and, and laborious in an exhausting way. The Bible says everything, everything evil that we know, all the suffering that we know was birthed in Genesis chapter 3. So Nickelback formed a band. Um, Pittsburgh started as a city and the Steelers <laughs> happened. All that happened as a result of what happened in Genesis chapter 3, right? But it's interesting when you read that passage um, very quickly, in fact, immediately after sin enters the world, God gives a promise immediately. And it's a promise of anticipation. Now, for some of you, you're aware of this promise. Some of you, this might be new information. So let me show it to you real quick. In Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to flip there. I'll put it on the PowerPoint for us this morning. This is what God says to Satan. Satan, of course, being the one who tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God. He says this. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And he says, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, is what he tells Satan, and you will strike his heel. Now, this is a very strange thing for God to say. Basically, God looks at Satan after all this happened in Genesis chapter 3, and he says to him, there's going to be an offspring that's going to come from the woman, and it's going to be a he. And he is going to crush your head. In other words, he is going to be your demise. And though you might strike his heel, though you might injure him, Right? He is going to end you. And God gives this promise for all of humanity to see. At the very beginning of the human story, the Bible anticipates that one day someone's going to come. And someone's going to make all things right. Someone's going to come. Someone's going to bring peace on earth. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that as soon as sin entered the human experience, hope was the very next thing that entered into the human equation. One day, God will send a he. And he will crush the head of the serpent. Bible says. Well, then, of course, if you read the Old Testament, if you know anything about the Old Testament, hundreds of years pass, thousands of years pass, and the people that put their hope in this promise start to wane in their hope. Some people thought that God had forgotten them. Some people begin to abandon their faith in God that he actually cared for them. But all throughout the Old Testament, what you see is you see a group of people, a faithful remnant of people who remain in hopeful anticipation. One day, one day, God is going to make good on his promise. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that God comes in and he reasserts that promise time and time again. And so, for example, in Isaiah chapter uh, 7, I believe is what it is. In Isaiah chapter 7, it says this, uh, verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The, vir the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And the Bible basically tells us once again, this is almost 700 years or more than 700 years before Jesus entered the equation. The Bible says that, that he's going to come, the Messiah is going to come, and he is going to be born of a virgin. And the Bible gives us more clues about this, about this Messiah who's to come. We see another passage, there's tons of them I could show you. I'll just show you another one for our sake. In Micah 5 2, we're told this, but you, Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me, one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, the ancient times. And so the Bible in the Old Testament, as it anticipates this Messiah to come, it continues to reaffirm the promise, and it gives us more clues. He is going to come. He is going to be born of a virgin. He is going to be born in the city of Bethlehem. And the Bible tells us that in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, it says that the prophets of the Old Testament would look diligently and carefully at the Old Testament and try to determine when the circumstance and when the time in which the Messiah was to come would be. In the same way that you and I used to look for presents as little kids, the Bible says that the prophets used to do that. God's going to send them into the world, and we don't know when, but he's going to do it. 
And then finally, we get to the Christmas story. And the Bible says that hundreds of years, thousands of years after these promises, that the Messiah enters the scene, that he appeared. And he appeared just like they said it would. He was born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. It was a he, just as all of the prophecies had predicted. And the Bible says that when that event happened, hope was fulfilled. And the Bible tells us that when that happened, that the angels came and they gave a birth announcement. This is a passage I want to look at. It's just such a cool passage. Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8, and I just want to read this passage to you real quick. And, um, and, and this, like I said, is an introduction week. And so later on in the series, we want to come back to this passage because it's so phenomenal. But briefly, I just want to take a look at this. Verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, let me just pause here for a minute. So back in this time, right, when, when people were shepherds, um, they would literally live among the sheep. So they would spend every waking hour with the sheep, wherever the sheep were, they were. And so when they would sleep, they would sleep where the sheep were. And the Bible tells us that at this point, the, the shepherds were out in the fields with the sheep, and they were sleeping there at nighttime, which would have been very common for shepherds. And the Bible says this, that in the midst of that, that in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The Bible says they were terrified. So imagine this. This is back in the you know, first century. So this was before electricity, um, and so there was no light pollution. Here they are in the middle of this field. They are underneath the canopy of the stars. And the Bible says an angel appears. Brilliance, light. The, the glory of God shone around them. You can imagine what this experience must have been like. The Bible says when they saw it, they were terrified, which, by the way, is kind of the common uh, expression whenever someone meets an angel in the Bible. I don't know if you notice that. But uh, in the Bible, when people meet an angel, usually they either fall flat on their face or they just are terrified. And the angels always have to say what? What do they always have to say? Don't be afraid. Right? Fear not. That's what they have to say. Why? Because people were afraid when they saw angels. So whenever I hear someone or I hear a story where, when someone's like, oh, I met an angel, and they were so pleasant, and they were so nice, I'm like, yeah, it's probably not a biblical angel. Because if you met a Bible angel, you'd be, you, need to change, you need to change your pants. That's just the way it is in the Bible. So anyway, they're like, they were terrified when this happened, and you would be too if this happened to you, right? But look at this, verse 10. But the angel said to them, typical angel response, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. All the people. Look at this. I love this. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, the one that everyone's been waiting for. He's here. He's here. He's here. And then look at this. This is cool. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then verse 13. This is such a cool picture. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared. Now, what's a heavenly host? That's basically angelic beings. So basically, an orchestra of angelic beings suddenly showed themselves. And the Bible says that they began praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. I just want you to get this picture, how crazy this must have been. In the Bible, it says that heaven was so excited about the, the, the fulfillment of this hope in the birth of Jesus Christ that it could not contain itself. And all of heaven just busts into this chorus, and these angels all appear, and they all start saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to his people in which his favor rests. It's this amazing picture that we see in the Bible. And this, of course, right, is Christmas. This is what we celebrate. This is the hope um, that we kind of have. It's a, it's, a, it's a story of anticipation, of fulfilled anticipation 
For many of us, when we look at Christmas, we, we view Christmas as a celebration of what happened back then. And so we, we commemorate that, right? We tell the story. We come to church and we, re, we read it again. And we set up manger scenes and we reenact it. And if you have little kids like me, they, they integrate their little action figures and kind of play with the manger scene together. Right? It's just sort of what happens. We look back and we celebrate what happened at Christmas. If you're a Christ follower, this is one of the, the central pieces of our faith, is that this is what happened back then. But, but here, here's what I want to talk about in this series, because my guess is everything I just shared with you, you know. Well, you know that. It's the Christmas story. Right? We, we always talk about the Christmas story this time of year. We always look back and celebrate what Jesus did back here. But here's what we want to talk about with this series. We want to talk about this. We want to talk about how Christmas is not simply something that is a past celebration. That Christmas is not simply you and I looking back at a past event that God did. But really, if you think about it, Christmas is so much more than that. Christmas is more than a celebration of what God has done in the past. Christmas is actually a declaration about the character of God. And it points to a hope. It's evidence of a hope that you and I can have today. Right? This is what I want us to get. Okay? Like I said, this is an introduction. And so if you get nothing else from anything else I say today, I hope that you get this. Because this is the idea that we want to talk about this Christmas season is this. That God's past faithfulness secures our future confidence. The Christmas, what God did in Christmas, is not simply a past celebration that was done for those people back then, but it is a declaration. It's an evidence to us about the character and the love of God, and that gives us a certainty and a hope that we can have for today and for our future. That God's past faithfulness secures our future confidence that Christmas is an evidence of the love and the care and the character of God. And it's something that will give you and I real hope. It's evidence that will give you and I real hope. And when I say real hope, I don't mean like fake hope. I don't mean like synthetic hope. Because you guys know in our culture, when I say the word hope, there is a lexical range that makes the word ambiguous. It can mean a lot of different things in our culture. When we say hope, right, you guys know this, we tend to mean wishful thinking. That tends to be what we mean. So, for example, I could tell you I hope the Browns win, right? But on what evidence? If I was to look back at the evidence of the past several weeks, it's a toss-up. They may or they may not win. It's wishful thinking. It's optimism is what it is, and it's nothing more. But it's fixed on no evidence, right? If I was to tell you, man, I hope this year my family gets along. Some of you are saying that. Man, I hope this year that my family just doesn't fight. That's all I'm hoping for this year. But if you look at past evidence of the past Christmases that have come before not likely going to happen, right? And so we say, I hope, but what we mean is I wish. I have wishful thinking. You might say, I hope that I get, you know, a 60-inch plasma screen, flat screen TV, right? And, and that hope is probably built on this desire that you have in your heart, but there ain't going to happen, right? And, and, and we tend to talk about it in those terms. Listen, when the Bible speaks of hope, it does not use it in the same way. It speaks of certainty. In fact, the Greek word that's used for hope, what it literally means is this. It means joyful and confidence, expectation. It means certainty. It means I know that I know that I know that I know. And I'm planning my future. I'm planning my, the, all the things that I'm, I'm banking on in the future are viewed through the lens of this hope that I have. Right? And I'm making decisions based on that because I bank on it. I'm confident. Of it. In fact, probably one of the best illustrations of biblical hope that I can think of is engagement. 
And so for some of you guys who are married uh, or if you're engaged, you remember when you were engaged? If you're engaged right now, I hope you remember because you're engaged. And, uh, but, uh, but remember when you got engaged? And, and remember, I remember for me when I, when I asked Jess to marry me, I remember when I got down on one knee and I pulled out the ring and, and, and of course she put it on. I'm still shocked that she said yes. She said yes and we decided we were going to get married. And you know what happened right after we did, we did that? I remember we went to IHOP, which was kind of the place that we went um, back then. And we sat down and we started to make plans. We started, we got our calendars. We said, what date should we, should we shoot? I mean, we were just like on it. If you know Jess, she's just like on it. So we like sat down, like what's, what, what date are we going to pick? And where do we want to get married? And we did, what were we doing? It was much more than wishful thinking, man. This was hopeful confidence, certainty. Like if you would have came up to me during that time when I was engaged, and if you would have been like, hey, are you going to marry Jess? I wouldn't be like, well, I hope so. No, I kind of, I wish it would happen. I was like, no way, man. I liked it, so I put a ring on it. Like I listened <laughs> to Beyonce, right? And I did it. And, and I asked her, and now I'm banking on it, man. And we're making plans, and we got a hall, and we got a pastor, right? We did all that kind of stuff, and now we're going in that direction. I bought a house. It's like I did all of that because I'm certain that she was going to be my wife. And see, when the Bible talks about certainty, and when it talks about hope, that's what it's talking about. And the type of hope that Christmas gives us is not some wishful thinking, man, I kind of hope that said, mm no. It gives us confidence. Why? Because of the evidence of what God has done. Christmas is more than a past celebration. It is a declaration about the character of God and the hope of God. And it gives you and I hope for today. It instructs us and it gives us future confidence that we can bank in the promises of God. Think about it this way. Let me illustrate it one more way. Um, as I was thinking about this this week, one of the things that I love about the Christmas season, and, um, and I'd love to talk to you in the cafe afterwards, I'd love to hear your stories. One of the things I, I genuinely like to ask people this question because I genuinely like to hear the answer. And the question I ask is, what is your Christmas traditions? Like as a family, what do you guys do for Christmas? I love hearing it, and I don't know why. And I think part of it's just fascination, and I like to hear what different families do. Part of it is because, honestly, some of your Christmas traditions are just weird, and it's entertaining. And, but I know that if you, if you guys kind of grew up in a family like mine, my family was very regimented with Christmas traditions, right? We were just, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I always looked at it fondly, but we had like very strict Christmas traditions. And I don't know if your family might have been like that. Like maybe for your family, it's that thing where you're like, every Christmas Eve, we go to Aunt Susie's house, right? And Aunt Susie, she always makes those cookies, you know, Aunt Susie's cookies. And everyone loves them. We all look forward to them. And then Grandma, she makes like Grandma's, you know, I don't know, that, that green bean casserole that Grandma makes. There ain't no one making it like Grandma. And Grandma got green bean casserole. And like, Christmas Eve for you is like that. And then for some of you, your traditions are like, they are like timed. You're like, and then precisely at 10 o'clock on Christmas Eve, we put on our Christmas pajamas. And everyone does it. Everyone. <laughs> even the adults, right? And then you're like, and then we open one present on Christmas Eve, exactly one, no more, no less. And we do that and we go to bed precisely at this time. And then we wake up in the morning and we go to such and such's house and we read the Christmas story, right? And, and the kids are bored and they want to open the presents, but the adults are like, shut up, we got to read the story. And, and that's just what we do for Christmas. And then we open the presents and it's phenomenal and that's what Christmas is like for us. For some of you, you're very regimented and some of you have really weird Christmas traditions. I was reading this article this, this week I thought was interesting. It was called The 35 Strangest Christmas Traditions Around the World. And it totally got me fascinated because I like Christmas traditions, right? And, uh, and I was reading them. I thought I'd share some of them with you. Not all 35. That would take way too long. Let me just give you a few that I thought were interesting, all right? So Slovakia, all right? In Slovakia, <laughs> I just thought this was funny. 
I guess in Slovakia, this is their Christmas tradition. The most senior man of the house, so like grandpa or great-grandpa or whoever, um, takes a spoonful of laksa pudding. I don't know what that is, but it's some kind of pudding. And throws it at the ceiling. <laughs> Sounds legit. Look at this. The more it sticks, the better. That's it. They're like, so apparently someone's like, here's how we're going to find out whether it's going to be a good year or not. Grandpa's going to fling some pudding on the ceiling. The more that sticks, the better the year's going to be. Sounds, sounds completely legitimate to me, right? Like, and as I was thinking about, like, how does something like that even start? How does it even start? I just imagine Grandpa sitting there. He's like, there's got to be a way to determine how good this year's going to be. <laughs> you know, whatever, all right. Listen to this one, Iceland. I guess other cultures do this too. I just thought this was fascinating. I guess Icelandic children, some of you may have heard this before, they leave a shoe on their um, bedroom windowsill. And I guess during the 12 days of Christmas, they go to bed and they wake up and there's candy that's filled their shoe, right? That's kind of what they do. When I read that, I thought, man, that is so weird. Fill candy, fill your shoes with candy. Unsanitary. Who wants shoe candy? That's gross, you know? But then I thought about it, and I thought, Americans aren't much different, are we? Because we fill our socks with candy. We just call it stockings. <laughs> and then I thought about it some more, and I thought, what is our fascination with putting candy in footwear? Why are we always doing this? But anyway, all right, South Africa, this one. This one's just morbid. And I'm, I, so I decided to share with you. Merry Christmas. South African children are told the story of Danny, <laughs> a, young, <laughs> a young boy who angered his grandmother by eating the cookies that have been left for Santa. Okay, so that sounds, that sounds legit, right? So Danny ate the cookies that were left for Santa. Grandma gets mad. I bet things get really twisted. Listen to this. <laughs> in her rage, <laughs> in Grandma's rage, right, she killed him. <laughs> and it said that she now haunts, and now Danny haunts homes during the holiday season. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Jeez, if I told my kids that, oh my gosh, they'd be terrified. All right. This one's my favorite. I got to just tell you, this is my favorite. Catalonia, Spain. All right? This is nuts. Catalonians have a character they call Tio de Nadal. Now, I don't, I'm probably saying that wrong, but basically it's a Christmas log. All right? He's no, and, and there's some details I'm not telling you about the Christmas log that you need to look up on the internet because it's just way too funny. All right, but basically what they do is the kids decorate a log. I'll show you a picture. I found one online. Here's the log. So they decorate the log. Okay, they put all the faces on. They put a blanket on them and a hat on them. And all Christmas season, they feed the log. Okay, they feed them, they feed them, they feed them. They sing songs to them. They love the log. They nurture the log. On Christmas Eve, this is their tradition, they put half of the log in the fire while the kids beat the other half with a stick. I am not making this up. All right, then, this gets even crazier. Then the kids leave the room after they beat Tio Denadal. They go in the other room and they pray, apparently, and they come back and Tio Denadal will then defecate presents on the floor. Yeah, and I, I read it, I thought to myself, how in the world? Does someone come up with this stuff? It's just wild, you know? And, and so I just thought that was kind of funny. I was reading through those Christmas traditions. But here's the crazy thing. If I was to ask you what your Christmas traditions are, you'd be like, those are weird. If I asked you yours, I'd be like, no, yours are weird. You guys think about it. We cut down a tree. We bring it in the house. We put lights on it. We take a bunch of junk from our basement. We put it out in the yard. I mean, it's weird, the stuff 
that we do. Why do I tell you all that? Because here's what I know about traditions, at least from my own experience. What I found with traditions are that not only do the Christmas traditions that I have in my life, not only do they make me look fondly back on my Christmas memories, right? We all look back and say, man, that was so fun. I remember Christmas Eve, we did that, and then grandma's cookies, and then we wore the pajamas, and then we beat the log with sticks, and that was Christmas for us. It was awesome. Not only does it cause us to look back fondly with on these memories, but it also causes us to look forward with anticipation. Why? Because what happened in the past affirms what's going to happen in the future. For some of you, if I said, what are you looking forward to this Christmas? You would tell me, well, looking forward to Grandma's cookies, man. They're awesome. And I know she's going to make them because she always does. And she always has. For the past 30 years, and no one makes them like Grandma. I can't wait to... Some of you are like, I can't wait to be with my family this year because I know that we're going to open our presents like this. We're going to read the Christmas story. Why do, we, why do you know that? Because we always have. Because that's the way it's always been. Listen, here's all I'm trying to say. Is that Christmas for us is more than just a celebration of the past. It's more than just us looking fondly on a past experience that happened. It is a dramatic and loud announcement about the character of God. And God's past faithfulness in Christmas secures our future confidence that because God did this, we can be certain that God will do this. It secures our future. And that's what we want to talk about throughout the course of this series. Look, for some of you today in this room, you need hope. You need it. You need, and, and I don't, not some synthetic, like, I kind of wish, I kind of hope. You need, like, hope, like the real thing. Like, like the certainty kind of hope. For some of you right now, man, your family, it is in a hopeless place. And you're entering into the holiday seasons, and for a lot of people, it's exciting. And for you, you're just dreading it. Because, because those things we talked about in the past, yeah, they're not there anymore for you, right? And there's, there's hopelessness for you, and you need hope. For some of you right now in your marriage, you need hope. And I'm not talking about some kind of I hope things work out. and I'm talking about the real thing. You need real hope. For some of you in your faith, you need hope. And you've abandoned it all, and you've lost your hope. And listen, I'm just telling you, what we want to look at in this series is that Christmas brings us hope, and I mean real hope. It's God's past faithfulness. It's not just some kind of past celebration. It's a future declaration about what God can do for you. Listen, Christmas tells us that we are not alone. Christmas tells us that God is not silent. As much as you might think he is, he is not silent. Christmas tells us that God has heard, and God continues to hear, and God will hear, Christmas tells us that we're not alone, that God came and he's with us, that he's with you. And how do we know that? Because we have evidence that he is. Christmas is the proof of it. It's past faithfulness secures my future confidence. For some of you right now, you're looking for hope and you need it, and I'm telling you Christmas is the only real thing that can bring it. And so throughout this series, what I want to challenge you to do, this is an introduction, I want to challenge you to lock in this series because what we want to do is we want to go back to the Christmas story and we want to explain exactly how Christmas brings us hope today, how God's past faithfulness secures our future confidence. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to say thank you for the confidence that, um, that you give us because of your past faithfulness. Jesus, Christmas is a loud declaration of your character of who you are, God. I, I see it all over the place. You know, the scripture tells us that, that you drew near to us. Christmas is a declaration that you are with us, 
that you care for us, that you didn't leave us or abandon us. Christmas is a loud declaration that you are for us and that you love us, that you're not some cosmic, distant God who's got some lightning bolt with our name on it who's out to get us. You loved us so much that, you, that Christmas happened. But Father, I, I pray that during this series that we be able to internalize the hope that we can have in you, Jesus. So I pray that as we engage in this series, that you would engage our hearts, move in your spirit. I pray that Christmas this year wouldn't be just an activity for us. But Father, I pray that we'd be able to really internalize it this year. Help us not get so caught up in the activities of Christmas that we miss the meaning of it. Help us to realize the declaration of hope that we find within it and help us to internalize it this season. And for some of us today, we need hope. We need it. We just need real hope. Father, I am confident that the only hope that we actually have in this world is through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's not based on just some ambiguous belief system. It's not, it's not like it's not grounded in something. But Father, Christmas is evidence that you love us and that you care. So I pray that we bank our future on it. In Jesus' name.